Hey, happy Friday, all, and welcome to the Common Good Podcast. And uh, good day, Earthlings. Uh, it's Earth Day today, Paul. Did you remember? I did. Uh, have, you, you, have you built your calendar, Dan? Did you remember it was Earth Day when you when you woke up today? Uh, I remember it now. Yeah, okay. Because All we right. talked about it yesterday. Yes, that's right. Just yesterday, it was. <laughs> yesterday was like uh, Earth Day Eve, and we, uh, you know, had to had to get Very into exciting. it. Very exciting. Yes. Well, today, uh, Earth Day, fifty-two years of some level of federal recognition that we live on a planet. So good for us to. <laughs> Give the Earth its uh, give the Earth its due. Well, the part of the Earth that I am on is I used to know the lod- the, lan- the latitude and lod- lon- longitude of where I am. I don't remember that anymore, but I'm just uh, uh, half a block from the city of Minneapolis in in Minnesota, in the United States of America, and uh, it's cloudy, uh, raining, and the Earth is being fed by its own uh, by its own moisture today where where I live. Uh, Dan Dietrich in South Bend, Indiana. Good morning. Good morning. Look, you're looking very lumberjack today. Got <laughs> my lumberjack on. shirt. Yeah, it's good. The beard, it's all come together. The framing of the camera. Did you have pancakes this morning with your own syrup? That yeah. You, that you Flapjacks, yeah. Flapjacks. Hey, hey, a shout out to my friend who sometimes listens, but uh, John Music and, and his wife Robin, they tapped their own trees for syrup in their own yard just miles oh, from wow. here. Like urban syrup. I didn't even know that was a thing. Urban syrup. Yeah. yeah. And I've uh, seen, you know, TikToks about people that do that and mm. have wanted to do it. But mm. it's, I, I, there's some in my kitchen right, right above my head. This is um, like, urban well, ur- urban's bad. I would say, you know, first ring suburb syrup, which probably even makes it more of a miracle. <laughs> you know, that that's, that that's possible. And then out of Georgia. Uh, our, out of Georgia. Uh, let's see. Latitude approximately thirty-five. Longitude uh, approximately eighty-five west. <laughs> see, you thirty-five know north, eighty-five approximately. I don't dialed know in. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey Paul, we were uh, also also in a first ring suburb. Yes, also a first ring suburb. They're the place of a lot of us, aren't they? Yep. Yep. Uh, well, a lot of things to talk about. We like to talk about uh, the sky. We like to talk about the Earth, especially on, on Earth Day. It deserves its its due. Uh, and we're also going to talk about the other things you see when you look up in the sky, which can be somewhat terrifying, and that being birds. Because, Paul, you're an astrophysicist, a pastor, a professor, and an avid birder. It, yeah. Is, is birding ever a, a profession? Do People get away with this. Do they make it? Uh, yes, but not, but not by just going and looking at birds and logging them. They, uh, there are ornithologists out there who uh, make a life of uh, essentially conservation. Oh, I see. Trying to protect protect the uh, habitats and so forth, particularly of migrating birds. You know, it's great to hear that we'll we'll create a whole category of people that will work hard in their profession to protect migrants. That's uh, that's good. Well, <laughs> yeah. What we do with birds, <laughs> may we consider human, doing with human beings, right? Maybe uh, because uh, the animals on this planet, and and maybe the insects. I don't really know. I don't pay a lot of attention to insects. They migrate. Humans, birds, uh, butterflies. You know, there's just uh, people. People and things do do that very deal. All right. Uh, hey, the other thing, Paul, we were just before we came on, I said, let's save this for the podcast. Uh, we were talking about cameras. You had said, hey, I need to get a new camera because, you know, yeah. my, my camera's different. And we were chatting about, you know, why our computers can't have different. Yours is better. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> true. This is this is not about uh, difference. This is just about quality. Right. quality. Yeah, exactly. I will say, though, Paul, that the thing and this little tip for anyone who's interested in this kind of thing. 
lighting is as important as whatever the lens is that you choose for a camera. So usually yeah, both your faces are nice and lit up and mine sort of dull and drab. Dull and exactly. Uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> so uh, like I have, I have too many lights in front of me, but if I turn off just that light, you can see what just happened with just that one light off. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Look at that. And you just turn on one more light and all of a sudden there's a thing. I've got another now little one. Kind of light, is that one of the ring I, light deals or is that, is that yeah. just a lamp? It's a little, it's a little ring light. So my camera is yeah. actually sitting in the center of it. I mean, it, it, it's better than a lamp because it just doesn't send light bouncing. Yeah, yeah. Have this other one over my head. This is the trick, the over-the-head light. It's right up there. When that one comes on, then it sort of lights up the top. And two lights, yeah. all of a sudden people are like, man alive, that looks great. So, well, um, next, next time we do it, I will... Uh, Bring some lights in here from the lab next door. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Science <laughs> we actually, lights. We really, we, I'll bring some lasers in. Yeah. All right. It'd be awesome. Well, <laughs> so uh, for some people, the cheapest thing to do, and, and sometimes you even just sit by a window or you open up a thing or, or you always... Always, and you know, I don't know. I'm doing a you know like a lighting tutorial here on the Common Good Science <laughs> podcast. But I guess you know you can't talk science without talking like hours I of and, and YouTube no, videos about this. Stuff. And normally, when I'm just talking to random people, you know, at the grocery store uh, about this, they they really don't want to hear it. <laughs> you you do have to turn off Rock. the fluorescent lights that are around you. It is just rule one. Um, because the All tone, Paul, the, the, the tone of the lights, like this ring light I have has different tones to it. So one in front of me. So if I cycle through different, oh, it's yeah, a little I can to warm it up. I can. Yeah. So you can see it's a little more blue and then a little more, yeah, yeah, you see that? Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, the, the light waves out of fluorescence and sometimes people have to work in their offices or they buy a fluorescent lamp or something. Ooh, puppies are anyway. Yeah. So incandescent. Yes. White light. And, and or yeah. LED that or, can change warmth yeah, yeah that's that's the trick you can if you can drop yeah, that thing this, down this to, room is largely lit by fluorescent lights yep so you'll go a long way just with a some non-fluorescent light shining at your face gotcha. and Perfect. then when you buy that new camera that was that you thought boy maybe i shouldn't have spent 79 dollars or 200 dollars on a camera then then it really is gonna shine they'll be like ah, hey good good and uh and then i'll be glad that i did it and you all too would be like god Wow! Thank you, Paul. Thank you for making Thank this. You. Thanks for making this podcast better by spending some money on your camera. <laughs> it's a very confusing, very confusing thing we yeah, do for everyone just listening yeah, to the podcast. Listening. Like, wow, this yeah, is incredible. They're like, wow. So you sent me a microphone, but no camera. You can send me a camera too. You know. Did we send you a microphone too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. I'm glad we no. did. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You just. You just sit still there, Paul, and don't you worry about a thing and just check your <laughs> check your postal uh, postal box. I don't know where they deliver, how they deliver mail there if you have to drive down the end of the road to get it. But you just keep your eye out. <laughs> and uh, your, lighting, your lighting solution not, will I'm, visit you. Yeah. Okay, but before we get to outer space, which I want to do, I want to get back to the birds because, Paul, I've seen you tweet these maps of migrating birds yeah, and I was fascinated, and so I, I looked up. Uh, you told me to check out Birdcast, and here we are. There are that's tonight. Yeah, two hundred forty-six million birds predicted overhead to be flying around tonight. Yep, flying from the south to the north, going up. Yep, they're all passing through. And uh, I read this great story about this woman who uh, went to New York City to the top of the Empire State Building, and they have these lights that shine straight up, and um, 
she got up there with her binoculars during, I'm not sure if it was spring or fall, probably spring migration. Spring's a little more intense. And she stood up there and, and, and with the spotlights up in the air, she could just see like the river of birds flying north oh, wow. over, over, over the city. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So they, they have a way to predict this. And this is a heat, a heat censored map that we're looking at. If people can see the, it's a, the visuals. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's really based on Doppler radar. Is oh, what so it, it's not what heat. It okay. Yeah, it's not heat. It, it looks like heat. It looks like those maps you've seen about global warming, but it's not. It's really um, based on uh, what's happened over the last few weeks and what's happened historically. This is a prediction, but you can also see it in live. You know, you, so you can go on to BirdCast tonight at any time, and it'll show you the live data. You know, within you know a few minutes of it being taken, and it'll also sort of show you the arrows and the vectors of the birds, the, the direction, and it's all north these days. Wow. And why are they primarily moving at night? Uh, because it's cooler, um, so they can, can stay cool. Uh, there's fewer predators, fewer hawks uh, out soaring hunting. Mm. Um, and also they navigate uh, by using a number of different means, but one of the main things they do is look at the sky. They look at the stars. Seriously. The birds are Seriously. stargazers as far as we can tell. They are. They are. They absolutely are. No question about it. It is fascinating what? that birds can travel these great distances, hundreds of miles, sometimes thousands of miles, depending on the species, and wind up at like the same little pond every yeah, summer. It, like, yeah, oh, it's oh, it's absolutely incredible. It is incredible. They, you know, it's there's so many unanswered questions. Um, you know, for example. Um, I would just talk about hummingbirds because that's the first thing off the top of my head. You know, I've got these hummingbirds in my backyard and they, every summer they make new hummingbirds. Right. And, um, and then in October they disappear and they fly down over the Gulf of Mexico, down Florida and over the Gulf of Mexico to Belize, Central America. <laughs> and, um, so the, yeah, they, they, or to recharge like, their batteries yeah, because birds aren't real and, it's, it's like a tenth of an ounce bird flying over the Gulf of Mexico. But the thing is, you want to know something really crazy? Yes. Is that they do it alone. They don't do it in a group. And these brand new birds who have not left, you know, have not been more than 100 meters outside my yard. Somehow when the light, when the sun gets low enough and the light gets right, they go south. They have yeah, never they been there before. They somehow know where to go first three months of their lives in my backyard. And then all of a sudden they go and they end up in Costa Rica. Huh. And then you think, right they, where all the other ones are. and then do you think they, they don't come back to your yard? Uh, yeah. Many times they do. Uh, I, I haven't exactly, you know, banded the birds in my yard, but yes, they have been known reg and it's not unusual for them to come back to exactly the same neighborhood, wow. the same feeder. Do they ever bring you anything from Belize? Do they ever think about you when they're, when they're traveling and pick you up a little something and get you yeah. a little shell? Yeah, my, the... my hummingbird went to Belize and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, how does a hummingbird, like, do they just get up in the jet stream and get pushed? Because their little wings are so teeny. How, how do they travel no, there's no, literally they, they how do birds go, travel they, this far they don't go high enough to get into the jet stream and all in any way they're going against it at least in the in the uh in the in the fall they are what i mean they're going south in the fall so all right so jet stream runs up you know north northeast um so 
Okay, so do birds sleep while they're because do they land along the way? Like are they are they taking little rest stops and uh, they do uh, some some do some some uh, fly straight. Some have been known to fly from get this from Alaska to New Zealand, <laughs> seven thousand miles without resting. What? But there are birds that sleep while they fly. Yes. Like they sleep one side of their brain. Is it that thing where they yeah, close one eye and one half side their brain, of their brain is at a time? Exactly. Yeah. Which doesn't yeah, cause them to, to turn still. left or to turn right. Right. <laughs> they don't end up in a circle. And, and, then there's, and there's these swifts in Europe that uh, that uh, spend their um, winters down in Africa, and they actually spend ten months out of every year on the wing without stopping. Goodness. On the wing, they that's eat. a phrase for flying when in the in birding word world. <laughs> yeah, They're on the on wing the wing. means flying. Yes. Okay, yeah, <laughs> on the wing as opposed to yeah, on the so wire. They, is that what's going on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah, so they uh, so they eat, they sleep, they mate, everything flying. They don't have chicks flying. That's what the two months are for. You know, they they don't have babies while they're flying. <laughs> they don't do egg drop while they're flying. Honestly, yeah, at this point, if you had said, and then they, you know, they they. <laughs> Can somehow sit on the nest of eggs with one half of their little little yeah. bodies. Yeah. Uh, but how, right how did, now, go on. How did you get into this birding? Like, if well, I'll just say, birding feels like an entire world that you. It, it's hard to dabble in. At least the birders that I know. Yeah, uh, I'm I, talking I've to you, Paul, buddy. Um, uh, when I was a kid, I was a big bird freak for like two years. I was a huge bird freak, and um, and then I like discovered Led Zeppelin and girls and stuff and forgot about <laughs> it. But then my dad picked it up and he got a pretty good life list over the years. Um, a life list. What is, what, what is this? I, I, I'm sorry. That's a species that he has seen, you know, and that's like all birders keep a list. Like we this, all keep right? lists. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's all kinds of different lists. Really? Um, probably the most esoteric list kept by any birder is species seen in dreams. <laughs> 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 but there's you know there's lists for you know like I've you know the yard list which is species you've seen in your, in your yard, your yard. Yeah. uh you know there's a georgia list there's the county list there's the u.s list there's the life list you know there's so forth and so on um but yeah the species seen in dreams is probably the the most uh esoteric so somewhere there's some bird gaggle of people together talking about their lists and someone says oh here's you know i've got this list. maybe they pull it up and Show it to each other or talk about it. How often in that birding world does somebody look at their look at someone and go, "Oh bullshit! You didn't you didn't see the red winged blah blah blah." No, I didn't. No, no way. That's got to be a common thing. You know, that's the the thing about this is so often birding is done alone. Yeah, and and but it's all based on you know. But the thing is, is it's kind of like it's kind of like science in a sense. In the sense of you can lie about it, but somebody's going to figure it out. <laughs> because, you know, if you did see such and so bird in such and so place, the bird's not going to just vaporize. So someone so else once, is going to see it. And once you announce this, and there's, you know, there's a thing called a rare bird alert, right? And so you put it in the internet, and everybody in the world knows about it. And everybody comes to see the bird, right? So if you're really serious about it, you'll put it on the list, and other people will come and see it too. What what so, is the rarest bird that's sort of in the, ends up in the North Americas somewhere? What what what's the one that people uh, are California like? condor is really rare. Um, uh, whooping cranes really are 
Yeah, they they they, they oh. summer up in a lot up in um up in um, Canada and and winter in Texas. Uh, so and also a couple other points, but mostly there. So those are two of them. Uh, there's a woodpecker here in Georgia that's really rare. There's probably only maybe a few hundred of them. Hmm. Um, so those are the top three off the top of my head. There's probably some out west too that I'm not as familiar are, with. Are any of those on your life list? Have you personally witnessed? No, I'm not. I'm not seeing any three uh but the woodpecker is one that i could see because there's two places in georgia where you could see it uh public public there's also of course some military bases where it's where, where they've managed uh the uh, habitat for this particular kind of woodpecker but you can't go see them um mm-hmm. but i suspect that it's called a red cockaded woodpecker and i think i'd be able to i'll be i'll be able to see one in the next couple of years why why is the military creating a special place to attract the woodpeckers what no they're they're not, but I. But what what happens is the land is not public, publicly accessible. I see. But the, but the military will allow uh, you know conservationists to come on the property and to manage the property because you have to have a, this bird requires a very specific habitat, hmm. and so you sort of have to keep the habitat managed so the bird can thrive. It's a real so, kept bird there. That thing, that that little precious little precious bird. Um, but migration is happening right now, so it's it's oh. it's crazy. It's it's like taking the, it's like, you know, taking all the birds and just mixing them up. You'll you never know what you're going to find anywhere. You know, normally you associate a certain bird with a certain habitat. Okay, so so back to uh, that image that we saw where there's yeah. tonight in air or on wing. Yep. There's two point four six million birds predicted to be moving south. No, two hundred two hundred forty six million. Oh, two hundred forty six million. Quarter of a billion, yeah. That's a better way to say it. A quarter of a billion birds are in flight over us. Are they all mixed up together too? Is is it like like public transportation up there? Like the birds are. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they, they pretty places. much are. They pretty much are. I think there probably are uh, most birds, most species of migrants do migrate alone, uh, meaning that not in not in flocks of the same kind. Um, but there are some that do. But for the most part, they're all just kind of mixed up. Wow. So, yeah. okay, uh, where, where I live, the robin and, I don't know, the blackbird, I, I really apologize for my life. Have, I have zero birds no. on my bird list, on my life list. Um, they're here in the spring and the summer. And the yeah. Do those birds migrate? Are these Minnesota robins? Yeah, or are the, they just stand the around robin, and go and Robins somewhere? definitely are. They're what we call short-range migrants. They don't go that far. Okay. Um, but yeah, they're probably, I'm not sure where yours would be during the uh, winter. But here in Georgia, we have them year-round. But they're different individuals in the spring and in the, and in the I mean, uh. in the fall, in, in the winter and in the summer. They're different individuals, but we always have them. So, so the population shifts up and down, but where Georgia's in the section where we always have some. What, so, what, yeah. Why do they come back? Do you have any idea? Like, why don't they just get down there and stay? What, 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 uh, why the, why under, all the back and forth? My understanding is that it's food. Oh, you're saying in this case, why, why don't they just hang out? That's a good question. I'm not I don't know, sure Just why. any birds. Like once they leave, I guess it's like anyone who, you know, moves to the warm climate. Uh, why, why would you, why do you come back? <laughs> um, is it food? I think I, I think it's mostly food. Yeah, yeah, oh. and and uh, yeah, food is what I would say. And also the breeding grounds. I mean, where you raise your young, 
Okay. You know, a given species of bird can't just raise their young in any environment because, you know, the hawks are going to get it or oh. the river's going to flood or something. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's certain uh, habitats which are which are safe for certain birds, which would not be safe for others. Hmm. What about the hawks? Do they do they migrate, too? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Some do. Some do. Uh, we have. So certain species around here, we have all year on and did not my, they're sort of uh, permanent residents, but uh, other species of hawks do. Uh, most of them do, but they're not very, usually very long distance. Migrants. Okay. And this is, are we, are we at peak birding season? Is this, is this the time here yeah, in North America? The next, the, yeah, really between like April 15th and May 10th, something like that oh. is, is it's pretty short and pretty intense in the spring. It's more spread out and kind of mellow in the fall. Should, but, we, uh, should yeah, people be looking out for it? Like, are there, are there? I, I guess other than just hearing new sounds, you know, in your area. Um, yeah, you'll never th- know what you'll see. Uh, yeah, you'll hear new sounds, um, and it just sounds sounds different outside. I go outside now, and I'm just, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm walking across campus, and I meet somebody, and they start talking. And it's like. <laughs> Please stop talking. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> You're that guy that's like. Sh- yeah, hold it, hold it for two weeks, then I'll talk to you. Or oh, let's go inside because oh, outside is too, is too distracting. All right. Well, if you're not already following Paul Wallace on uh, the social media places where he does, he does keep keep this this all updated. Um, and sometimes, Paul, when you're looking not just up in the sky at the 246 million bird, a quarter of a billion birds in flight any given night here in the spring, you're looking a bit further. Into the uh, into the stars, and we like to do a little update. Uh, the The James Webb Telescope is uh, coming into coming into its own up there. It is our magical spot. What's What's our update on that on that little gem? Well, it, it, it's been in loca- it's been in, at, at, at its sort of you know final orbit for a while. It's you know fi- it's, it's arrived where it's supposed to be, and it's there, and everything seems to be working. They've been checking it. Uh, they got an image or two of some stars, uh, you know, just sort of just to make sure that the basic system is functioning. They're nothing, nothing special, but they do show that this uh, telescope is functioning. And right now they're um, letting it cool down hmm. because electronics and so forth will work better when things are colder, especially uh, a system this sensitive. And the mirrors have to be cold. They have to be perfectly aligned and to make the alignment perfect you have to have it as cold as possible because the uh, metal that is that you know makes the things up that it, it tends to um yeah. as you know expand when it gets warm and, and contract when it gets cold and they're waiting for it to get sufficiently cold to where basically all that contraction is over and it got warm from the journey still this is still all yeah from just, the- you know just just the te- you know just just surface temperature of earth is is burning up compared to you know well, you know, it's 200 degrees higher than where the telescope should be. And yeah, we're talking very cold temperatures, right? This says seven degrees Kelvin is what we're aiming for, which is minus 447 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, I was thinking Celsius when I said a couple hundred, but yeah, in the Fahrenheit scale, it's 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 450 or so below zero. And it has got it. Just it's taken this long because it's been up there for weeks. We we haven't had our podcast on with you uh, here on Fridays for yeah, weeks. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it, it does. It it takes that long. And and part of the wow. problem up there is that there's no air to convect oh. the the heat away. Hmm. It's all what we call radiative cooling. It all just 
it, oh, it's yeah. not, it's a vacuum. So like, you know, sure. your coffee cup will, will stay. If you put your coffee, your hot coffee cup in a vacuum, well, number one, it would actually boil, which you don't want, but, uh, if, it would cool off much more slowly than it would in a room with atmosphere in it. Is that why when you blow on something, it gets cooler? Is that essentially what, yeah, what's basically, yeah, on? you're, you're, you're letting the, the air absorb the heat and put new cooler air in its place. And that new cooler air absorbs the heat and so forth and so on. The space telescope doesn't have that, that, uh, so it does take a long time just to cool by radiant it just radiates away oh, the heat very slowly cool. that's pretty cool yeah i feel like <laughs> it's actually oh there you go look at that well played paul well played little little bird hey um i feel like we've talked about this and somehow yeah. i've forgotten because now when you said that the james webb space telescope is in its orbit is it moving or is it sitting still and if it's moving what is it moving around okay yeah it's moving but okay. uh, i do have to say this that everything in a sense is moving All right. uh, <laughs> like relative to the sun relative to the earth i mean when it, when, in other words whenever you say this is a little pedantic of me you have no to please be me, but I am, I am a, i am a science professor so i have to say <laughs> this a physics professor so whenever you say something's moving yes all you ever 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 mean is that it's moving relative to something else as opposed to what? what? What else could someone? There's, 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 think there's no absolute standard of rest. Awesome phrase. That's a, <laughs> you know so take one of those there's, Facebook there's, memes around that. There's do. no absolute standard of rest. You, you know, are just going to be exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe that's maybe that's my problem. That's, that's why you feel this way. Okay. So, so yeah, it's moving and it's orbiting. Uh, it's it's orbiting the sun along with the Earth. Um, but it's at a at a point, it's, it's in the direction opposite the sun. As you can see in the picture there, it's in a direction opposite the sun from the earth. And is it staying or relative to the earth, to, to earth? Is it? Yes. In the yeah, it orbits with the earth. It stays in that location relative to earth and it stays pointed away from the earth and the sun. Got it. And it's there. I mean, those of us who are watching this on the live stream can see this photo. I guess you could maybe look up a photo of it, but it's helpful for this, this imagery so that it is staying relative to earth but then orbiting around the sun and it's the yes. gravitational pull of earth with a couple little rocket boosters every now and again that keep the the yeah. telescope right yeah, where it in is in the sun the combined gravity of the earth and the sun, earth and the sun. Uh, along along with you know occasional little boosts to to keep it in its location yes but it's at this point the lagrange point right where it's sort of at this near perfect tension of gravity tugging on it so it yeah it's, it's at, a, at a point it, it, the, the phrase is unstable equilibrium and what it means and sort of think of it like the, like a ball on top of a hill if you put it there perfectly it'll balance right and it'll touch it and, and it can and it can run away from its resting place yeah. mm -hmm. but uh as long as it's really right on top uh and every now and again it'll get a little bit off but that's what the little rocket boosters do they sort of keep it centered right there on top mm -hmm. of the hill so to speak amazing I, I don't want to take us too far back, but why is this such a big thing for a pedantic like science professor to want to say that there's no ultimate state of of rest? Why is that a thing that 
is in you so much so that when someone says, is it moving? You're like, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the wrong question to ask yeah. around for my life. Yeah, wh but why? Yeah. why? Why is that the thing that you all? Because, it's a, because it, number one, when you really think about it, it's kind of weird um, that that all motion absolutely is without without qualification. All motion is relative. Okay. Okay, that's that's just, uh, and for hundreds of years, thousands of years, maybe even, uh, there was an assumption that the or that the that space was permeated by something called the ether. Yes, and that ether was assumed to be at rest, huh. and that all motion all, was was properly measured relative to it. Huh. But there is no ether, and this this is one of the several lines of thinking that led Einstein to relativity. When people hear there is no ether, you know, I guess some people are like, oh, of course, how, what, what is this, you know, seventh grade science class? <laughs> but other people are like, oh, really? I'm sorry. I thought things existed in the ether. Like, that's because we still use that as a phrase, right? Like, right, it's just right, kind of right, out right. there yeah. in the ether. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So it sounds like you're saying there's still um, scientists want to continue to make a point that they've been making for a hundred plus years. There's no ether. So stop with that, with that thing. Um, but why does that matter for, for us? Like what, what in the world that you're in the physics world, that, that feels like it's more than just a statement of fact, like, Hey, people should just get that right. You know, let's make <laughs> yeah. sure that people. No, 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 I'm not, not really trying to be uh, corrective in that sense. I'm just trying to share with you this really, this idea that to me is a little destabilizing, yeah. a little disorienting when you realize that there actually is no, absolute reference frame yeah. for things to be at rest, you know, and that, and that when you say the car is going down the street or you say the car is going 50 miles per hour, all you're saying is that it's going 50 miles per hour relative to the road underneath it. That's right. Okay. I got gotcha. you. That's it. And, and it doesn't mean 50 miles per hour in any absolute sense. Right. Because the car is also flying through space <laughs> on the surface of the right. planet. And also the person in the car can say the street's going 50 miles per hour in the other direction. <laughs> and that is that is equally correct. Is my point. The person in the car is not more wrong than oh. is, is, is is not in any sense wrong whatsoever. Wow! I am never paying a traffic ticket again. I'm going to be like <laughs> exactly, Look, exactly. Don't blame me. The street was moving 87 <laughs> miles an hour. Uh, it's going <laughs> faster and faster and faster, sir. In in the other direction. Is, Give it a ticket. Give the planet a ticket. Is, that's right. is is this fundamentally what uh, a, a big piece of what the theory of relativity is all about? Is that it's yeah, it's, it's one of these things that 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 uh, without this relativity of motion, mm -hmm. um, it's not clear that he that, that that we would have gotten relativity figured out. Yeah, because uh, I remember that, it's an essential piece. I, I remember getting into physics in the early 2000s in a different way by watching some of the great courses, videotapes, mm -hmm. or maybe they were DVDs. So there was lectures that you'd watch and they were explaining Einstein's theory of relativity. I don't know if it's just mythology that he would talk about this, but that the idea of sitting on a train and watching things go by, he realized, wow, things in the train are moving relative to other I, other objects in the train, but they're also moving at a f another speed relative to things outside right. the train. And yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And maybe that's just a very 
beginner way to to get your head around around this idea? Yeah, well, no, I, I think that's that's how I do it when I talk about when I introduce relativity to my students. That's why I talk about getting untrained because I, I think that you know Einstein, given the kind of mind he had and the fact that he certainly rode trains all over the place, uh, he had to have had that thought sitting on a train. You know, sure. that I don't I don't think it's just apocryphal. I think it probably really happened. Well, um, more happening up in the up in the skies as well, right? Right, Dan. Don't we have a great yeah. little story about it? One of the, my favorite things about space is just the names. Uh, <laughs> you know, supernova being my favorite, but they just came out with a new one to me. I don't know how long you've known of this, but they're calling it a micronova. No, it's it's new to me as well. Okay, so they discovered this new type of stellar explosion. What do you make of this? What's a what's a micronova? Well, apparently what it is is, well, I need to give you a little bit of a, you know, uh, this picture here sort of suggests the thing I'm, I want to say. It looks kind of weird, like right? for, for those of you who, who can't see it, basically it's a big old orange star with a jet of gas or dust coming off of it going into this little spiraling down into this little white star. Weird looking thing. Yeah. But uh, the first thing you got to know is that most stars – are, are not solitary like our sun. Most stars orbit other stars. Oh, like multiple and you know, yeah, yeah. binary yeah, systems. Stars, or... triple stars, quadruples, whatever. Yeah, huh. that's pretty common in the universe. And you go outside and look up at night, and a really good fraction of the stars that you see that look like one star, if you could look at them up close, you'd see are actually two or more. Oh, wow. Um, so it's really common to have these um, double stars. Doubles are the most common. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's the the closest star system to us is a triple. Huh. Why, why, why is this? Why do stars buddy up? What's the- well, because they're formed in pairs. Uh, our, not in pairs, pardon me. They're, they're like puppies. They come in litters. That, that when, when they're born, they don't come in as individuals. They come in big groups. They come in clusters. That's how stars are formed. That's All stars. St- are that's formed. how a star is born. That's how a star <laughs> is born. And our sun is no exception, but it long since sort of left its little uh, family of other stars behind. Really, it's a nice. runaway. It's yeah, little... yeah, but, but yeah, but but not all stars when they escape. I mean, sometimes that it, some stars are left behind in groups of two or three. Uh, some stars, when they escape, they're too closely bound up to another star to leave it, so they leave together. Wow, um, it's like family so, relationships here. So, was is our sun right. was our sun and uh, abandoned, or was our sun a runaway? <laughs> it's a runaway. It's a runaway. It's a rebel. Stars are rebel. Really? Sun's, yeah, love it. Yeah. So. Uh, most stars are, so it's not that big of a deal. And, and I'm assuming you're you're going to you would remind us if we got too, you know, uh, chummy about this with the stars that we're we're speaking in galactic terms. So these stars are lots of miles away from each other. Is that right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, oh the, like in the in the picture here. No, like if uh, you say like stars are born together and there's two of them, pairs of them, or three of them, yeah. they're really quite quite far apart. Yeah, well, some are and some aren't. Some oh. are some are quite close together. Like how, um, like how close does close get? Like they almost merge into one same. Uh, that has known to happen, uh, been known to happen, but okay. more often they're probably about as far away, you know, as as the sun and Uranus or Neptune, maybe. Hmm. 
know, maybe further than that, but they can be that close as well and, and orbit each other pretty quickly. There's the casual use of an astrophysicist scale, you know, about as far as <laughs> Neptune. Uh, oh, we're still, we're <laughs> wow. That's right around the corner. That close. Yep. Oh, that's, that's yep. great. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, a, few a few hundred million miles away from each other. Not that not that far. <laughs> so, so we knew about supernovas, which obviously are a nova that's big. These, Super. These micro, <laughs> these micro novas, which great name for a band, uh, are are what they're well, just they, like they, it. They always occur in in one of these uh, double systems, double oh. star systems. Um, so that's why I went on about stars being in pairs and so forth because oh. they always happen in in double systems like this and stars evolve they grow and they change over time eventually they die okay they have lifetimes and uh some stars when they when they die they become something called a white dwarf our sun should be a white dwarf in five billion years from now so a white dwarf so that's the end of Um, us so like when 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 whatever is going on on the earth x billion years from now it's not it's not anything like now if the when the sun starts to move into its white dwarf stage. Right. Is that right? Right. Don't worry about it. It's, you know, not next week. Okay. Be a, existential a, crisis right. for the entire human species. Yeah. So, so this uh, star system that we're looking at here is one in which one star has become a white dwarf and the other one is uh, a red giant. Okay. That big red star, for those of you who can see, that big red star is known as a red giant. And uh, stars, when they enter the red giant phase, they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Okay. And they get cool and they become what we call red giants. So we've got a red giant and we've got a white dwarf. Okay. Sounds oh. like a Disney story. So these are the, <laughs> this is the pair and they're moving at the, they're evolving at different rates. So one's. Oh, yes. They're orbiting one another. One of them has become a white dwarf, which has extremely strong gravity. One of them has become a red giant, which is getting larger and swelling up bigger and bigger and bigger. And so what happens is eventually the white dwarf starts pulling material off of the red giant because of its strong gravity. As the red giant swells and gets larger and larger, uh, some of its material gets pulled off onto the white dwarf. Come on. Not making this up. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you know, all this, we're never really sure when, when you're not on here, we're always like, I don't know. I think those astrophysicists are just making stuff up. No, nobody can ever check them. So well, it doesn't do, matter. Do you know how we, do, it doesn't do you know matter. how, do you know how we know stuff like this? Think of it this no, way. No, I don't. Uh, yeah. Well, this is a, a simple picture that, that, that you can okay. take with you. Suppose you got a million people at random in one big photograph and you took a picture of it. Okay. If you were careful and you looked at people, you know, the young people, the old people, uh, the uh, babies, the women who are pregnant, all this, you would probably figure out a little bit about what there is to know about the human lifespan, right? Oh, sure. If you looked at it closely, right? Well, that's what we're doing. We have, we have a million different stars to look at, huh. and they're all in different stages of their, of their lives, Got it. And so by looking at that, we can piece it to piece things together and start to get a picture of how stars evolve. Even though we cannot see a single star evolve over its whole lifetime, we can see a million stars in a million random life stages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how we do it. And, and 
how do they know that, okay, here's what's happening. This is now in a dwarf stage, a white dwarf stage, so it has a strong gravitational pull. So now it's going to start pulling elements off of the bloating red giant, because yeah. all that takes billions of years, too. How do they know that's what's happening? Is that a best well, explanation uh, two, theory? Two, two reasons for that. Uh, one is that if our model of stellar evolution is right, and we have really good, really good reason to think that it basically is, um, then this must happen, and it must happen a lot. Hmm. In other words, this is not some weird, weird kind of oh. exotic thing that doesn't really fit with our model. Our model says this should happen and should happen a whole lot. Hmm. Okay, so it's not an uncommon. Although it looks weird, you know, to people who don't have not, you know, maybe, you know, taken four courses in astronomy, um, it is not at all uncommon. Got it. Got it. And it should not be. If our model is correct, it should be common. Well, it's so often that when we see these beautiful artistic renditions of something happening in space that go with a headline and a story like Meet the Micronova, the, that astron yeah. astronomers have discovered a new type of stellar explosion, then someone does some piece of artwork. I hear people who really know this world always be like, okay, that's an artist rendition of the thing. That it's not. We don't see what you're looking at right now. We don't see yeah. that. You can't take a picture of it and right. see that. They're trying to artistically describe something that happens over a long period of time. Is that true right. here? If you just looked at these two stars, would you see anything like this little I think you would see something coming off? More, more or less like this, yeah. I, I think that you know, it's cleaned up a little bit. I think that the white dwarf would have more junk around it. It wouldn't be such a nice little you know, donut shape around it like that. I yeah. don't think it'd be quite so smooth and clean looking, but I think you would see something that, that looks in its general features, yes, like the, like this picture here. Wow, wow. And, and how yeah. many stars are there again in our... In our galaxy, what 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 are they talking about? Is it or three hundred million, three hundred billion, three hundred billion, billion, two hundred billion, something like that, hundreds of billions. It's just just in our little, just in our own little cozy Milky Way, a little cozy corner, like like a little grandson Wesley podcast. Go to your cozy it's corner. A, it's actually a really nice galaxy. You know, we could do we we could have ended up in a worse neighborhood. It's um. Oh, <laughs> it's really pretty. Is what I mean. It's one of those nice big spiral deals. Really, like a, like we're in a first ring galaxy that's kind of nice, and it's right near the urban core. But yeah, have all the pressures yeah. of the, the concrete it's jungle. Not, it's not, it's, it you know it's it, it's like being in a really <laughs> beautiful mid sized city. It's like you know a really really great college town. You know, it's not the biggest <laughs> galaxy out there, yeah. but it really is a nice. One. That's it's right. the South Bend of <laughs> galaxies, is what I'm hearing. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Right. I, was, I was thinking like the Chapel Hill of. Uh, oh, have, uh, I haven't heard of that, but I sure have heard of South Bend. Boy, that's uh, also known as the jewel of the Midwest. The jewel of the Midwest. I heard someone say that just the other day. Um, it was it, it, it was it, my friend, and he was making it up. And, but it, I, and it really I rang true. It's, Doug, you don't know Chapel Hill, on. North Carolina. No, I do. I was just being, oh, you know, I was just being like, boy, you there's know, there's no I, way, there's no way, Mister Traveler, <laughs> Mister World doesn't know about Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm very aware of Chapel Hill, and I'm very aware of the people who have the privilege of living in Chapel Hill, how they feel about it, and that they, yeah. that they love it. It's they love it. It's not quite Asheville level of they're going to tell you. Um, 
or, or, or usually it's how great it was, and then you pick yeah. some period of years from when you yeah. got there uh, that it was really yeah. great. Uh, I mean, it's still great. Before all, the people, but, before all the people from New Jersey moved in. Yeah, before, before whatever <laughs> it is that happened that made it, yeah. you know. Like, you're not seeing how great it is right now because such and such <laughs> happened. But it's really, if you get to real Chapel Hill or real Asheville or yeah, real, right. you know, Austin. Real Florida. Real Florida. Any of those places, then, then, then you really do, then you really do hear about it. Hey, anything else uh, happening in the um, in the up in the skies that we should know about before we ask you what life is like on a university campus in the final final days of, of the semester and how a professor well, the, like uh, you holds it all in together? The, in about a month from now, we're gonna. I can't remember the exact date. I'll have to look this up, and we'll have to mention it again next time, a couple of weeks from now, when I come on again. Uh, there's gonna be a nice planetary alignment in the morning. So get up in the morning, and you'll see like four nice planets, all maybe even five mm. naked eye planets, oh. all lined up in a row mm. in the morning. So I'll have to do some digging around on that and let you know. Hey, when you do your social post about that, make sure you write the word "naked eye uh, planet <laughs> alignment." That'll just that that gets people. Uh, you like that, do you, Doug? Well, I'm just saying that that captures people's attentions. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't. Will. I've been around too many naked naked people to be impressed any longer. <laughs> um, I'm I'm looking this up. When when is this planet alignment? Oh, 2022. Uh, I'm thinking it's late May. Okay, so uh, just, I'm going to be in Hawaii. Uh, four planets and the moon will line up in the sky this month, and that's in April. Is it that's is it saying that ju- imminent? Well, it's saying Ju Jupiter, Venus, Mars, yeah. Saturn. Line up kind of with the moon. Stargazers, get ready. Starting April twenty third, which is tomorrow. Tomorrow. Wow, I got. I I had that one off by a while. I thought that was next month. Glad I looked this up. It's it's next day. It's tomorrow. Well, that's my announcement. Tomorrow, there's going to be a planetary. (laughs) Hey, big news, everyone! That's tomorrow. Uh, the perfect alignment will provide Earthlings. Wow, there's in this article they use the same joke. Earthlings, a relative and rare opportunity to see multiple planets in the sky with their naked eye. Naked Experts eye. Say, there I, it is. I, in fact, they wrote a book called Christianity Worth Believing, and the original title was Naked Christianity. That was going to be the original title. The, the publishers naked. didn't like that. Yeah, I don't know. I still feel like well, that thing would have been a bestseller if I if only. <laughs> um, I think that's why I cued my eye on that. Um, experts say the celestial treat can be observed by gazing southeast in the direction of the sunrise about an hour before the sun comes out. Okay. So that's tomorrow morning if the skies are yep. clear where you're living. Oh, you're an early riser, but you're going to have rain. <laughs> look at Aren't that look right there. Rain? That look was perfect. Boy, you, you thought you had it going for you. You like to get up early, but hmm, you don't get to see this. <laughs> No, you're strange. See nothing. Okay, That's so Paul, uh, so so this thing does it. Uh, this alignment happens, you know, predictably, but yeah. doesn't last very long. Is that what they're saying? Like, I can't see it Sunday morning or Monday well, morning. No, no, you can you can see it. Uh, maybe the moon will move a little bit, but the okay. planets you'll be able to see probably for the next week at least. I think. Wow. They just don't. They just don't move that fast. Okay. Mm-hmm. Night to night. Huh. So you should be you should be good for the next over the next week, but the moon would you know will not will, will move a lot more quickly than the planets will. Hmm. So uh, Barbara says most in the chat she says most of my life I lived in New York. I've always believed the lights of New York are a reflection of God's gift of our beautiful sky. But that's a thought. 
I, yeah, I like that. I heard a podcast the other day, uh, because there are some others, if people didn't know, if you just go on an application, you find there's other podcasts in addition to this one. <laughs> and there's one of them I like to listen to called Stuff You Should Know. And they did one on the dark sky zones, uh, where oh. in the world you can go where it's there's no external light. And, and it's a rare, like there's not a website that directs you to these places. It's extremely hard to find these, these dark sky zones. Yeah. Do, do you know about this? Yeah. About how hard these are? No, but I'm not, I'm not surprised that it exists. I've not heard of that particular one, but I'm. Like yeah. I thought you could just drive, I don't know, an hour from wherever, what any city and you're out there and it's dark enough and you can see, but they're like, no, 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 no. You, there's some, <laughs> like that doesn't count. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know the sky was. Well, you can do pretty well, you know, on certain nights, even on the East coast, uh, uh, over here on the East, you can, you can do pretty well. But I think what they're talking about is like Arizona quality. Sort yeah. Of, mm -hmm. you know, like Northern Arizona quality sort of. There's some, is it, does Georgia have a barrier Island? Are there barrier islands? Oh, we have, we have, we have uh, maybe 18, 12 to 18 of them. Apparently one of those is one of these dedicated, is one of these... Uh, Probably Cumberland. Are, Cumberland is one that's um, just not developed at all. It's, it's basically... There's yeah. a couple of like, you know, sheds on it and maybe a couple cabins, but no real development. Well, Barbara, when you get up tomorrow morning, go look southeast just before sunrise and see if even with the New York lights, you can see Jupiter, Venus, Mars, and Saturn all in a row. You should be able to. Even, in from, even from New York, you should be able to see all four of those. And when I get up, if the, you know, if the skies break open and they can see the, see the sky, will, are these just going to look like brighter dots in the sky? Or yeah, is, they're brighter dots, but they're all going to be in a line. So they're not just scattered. They're, and that, and that, that's the thing. It looks like a little pearl necklace or something. They're all kind of laid out along a single line, which is, which is nice. Hmm. I got something to do tomorrow. I didn't know what my day was going to entail, but now, <laughs> now I do. Today's Earth Day, tomorrow's Sky Day. So, All right, astrophysicist, pastor. Hey, how was Easter for you? As a, as oh, a it was pastor? good. It was my birthday. Nice. Easter, Easter fell on my birthday this year. And you said it's my daughter's birthday. So it hasn't done that since 1960. Y your daughter's birthday, Dan, was also also Easter. Yep. Also April 17th. Mm -hmm. um, All right. I haven't met many people who have the same birthday as me. Yeah. It's a good day. And you know, birthdays aren't evenly spread out either. It's if you look look that up, it's a there's a funny thing about that that somehow people I don't know some I'm guessing days, there's a peak. Guessing there's a peak around September October. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that because I mean people because it's cold in the winter. In, bed in the winter, and they're, you know, you know, I, 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 we're just in bed. What else is there to do? Let's make a baby. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, we got more hours, and you're and you're and you tend to stay under the covers more because it's cold. Yeah, I did you hear know. you. I, I, don't, I don't have to explain it to you. Uh, I I did see that you wrote that in your lifetime, Easter because it's a movable holiday had not fallen on the, what was it, the 16th of, of April? 17th, yeah. 17th? It had not since 1960, and I was wow. born after 1960. Because Easter so. is like the first oh. Sunday after the full moon of the spring equinox or something like that, right? Yeah, That's the first Sunday after the first full moon after the vernal equinox. So we could do a whole, we could do a whole show <laughs> on, on, on that. It's a mess. The story of, of that is really interesting. And it's actually kept kept astronomers in business for a long time because the church wanted to know when the heck Easter was going to be. 
And for a long time, you couldn't just Google it and find out. Oh, so, someone has to say this is when the spring. Not, this is when the full. Yeah. The spring equinox is always the same time, but it's that full moon business. Yeah, well, the spring equinox varies a little bit too by by a day or two every year. It, it wobbles around a little bit. Calendar. We can do a whole show on the calendar. It's crazy. Well, let's get that on the calendar. Uh, Hey, you said you had to go by the the top of the hour. We have one minute left, so we're going to let you go. All right. Farewell, astrophysicist, pastor. Bye, everybody. Good talking to you. See you later. Hey, all. uh, Thanks for uh, thanks for sticking around today, talking about the sky and the birds and all the things in the sky. You know, Dan. I know we joke about this a lot. That you know, like, is any of this stuff actually? You know, real. And I believe it all is. I don't have any. I don't have any <laughs> true. I don't have any true doubt, right? That that's what a white dwarf star is with a red giant, and that's it moves matter, and that there's a space telescope sitting out there. They found the perfect spot of gravitational effect in the sky and landed a giant metal piece that's cooling down so that it can take an infrared light from the furthest distances away that humanity's ever ever done before all that's yep it's also so mind-blowing like we talked about with randy woodley yesterday that yeah i don't know any other explanation about how the world works it, <laughs> you know what i mean because it feels Seems like sometimes equally plausible yeah yeah that sometimes we we think like oh people make up these stories about what's going on in the world or yeah and if they just follow science it would just be so much easier well it might maybe but it's also just equally as mind-blowing uh and stretching and just just gobsmacked with the serious I mean just the bird part of that whole thing we don't really know yeah, how birds f- get places <laughs> <laughs> like how did that get here so you it's easy to think oh we uh, boy in other periods of time of human history people had to make up all these stories to explain this stuff well yeah they're no more more fanciful than oh what's probably happening is that somewhere in a bird brain and maybe somewhere with some pre cortal uh, frontal frontal cortex ability in a bird they can follow gravitational electromagnetic poles and maybe a key off of a star for a hummingbird to land back in your yard yeah that that blows <laughs> my mind but <laughs> <laughs> and the birds are just doing it, just doing it, you know, 246 yeah. million of them tonight, just just, just on their way. Zipping around, knowing exactly where they're going. Yeah. I can't get around my own town without Google Maps. Excellent point. All right. Well, mine's sufficiently blown. Okay, y'all. Yep. Uh, uh, get up early tomorrow. Look at the look at the star alignment or the planet planetary alignment because it's apparently really something. Is that it? We done? That's it. All right. A good day. See you. Bye.